encourage you to turn to 1 John 5, where we'll be reading verses 13 through 15. And as we begin, I again want to thank you for allowing us to have time away to visit our daughter Mary and to help her move back to Ohio as she's going to be seeking the Lord for her next steps. And I said that uh, the time there watching her and the other young women dance was a time with lots of tears of joy for me to see God worshiped through the means of dance. Uh, The trip was also a time of mingled with sorrow as last Sunday morning when we were at Bridgeway Church and I happened to have my phone with me and looked down that I had a text message and was alerted to the death of Lynette Hoffman and um, just was considering what that would mean for a family with 11 children to suddenly lose the mother. And so um, we had visits with friends, some friends that we've known for years, a couple that we knew in the first church that I pastored and one of um, the man in that couple came to faith during that time that we were with them at the church, and it was so exciting to see how God has used them, how they've grown in Christ, how they've been involved in mission around the world, and then we had um, opportunity to meet new friends as well. We were able to stay with a family who had a daughter, a young woman who was part of the dance ministry as well, and they were just wonderful hosts, very hospitable, and one of the things that we learned about them was when they were married that um, the the wife asked her husband-to-be about his goals, and he didn't really have any goals that he would articulate, and she thought, what? You don't have any goals? Well, we'll look at God's goals for us in a moment, but then also the the trip was special because um, it was the first time we've been able to make a trip since Mariah has been a part of our family. And so those bonding kind of experiences as you travel are just really significant. So thank you for allowing us that opportunity. But to go back to those goal, that idea of goals, God has goals, whether you have goals for your life or not, whether you would be able to articulate what your goals are right now in your life or not, God has goals for you, and they're stated in this text from 1 John 5, verses 13 through 15, so I invite you now to hear God's word. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. So you may or may not have picked up on the goals that God has for us, but there are two goals that I see articulated that God has for us, two desires that God has for you and for me. And they are stated in these verses. One would be articulated in verse 13. And the goal would be this. To know with assurance that we have eternal life. God wants you and me and all of us to know with assurance that we have eternal life. We see that in verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. That you may know that you have eternal life. So that's one goal that God has for us. And the second goal in this text is in verse 15, that we would receive what we ask from God in prayer. 
That's what God desires for you and me, that we would receive what we ask from him in prayer. Verse 15 says it this way, if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. So there are two overarching goals in this text. One, that we know with assurance that we have eternal life. Two, that we receive what we ask from God in prayer. But those overarching goals are really byproducts of something else. I've titled this message, Knowing and Receiving. I could have put a subtitle, By Asking and Believing. Because the way that we know that we have eternal life is by believing in the name of the Son of God. And the way that we receive what we ask from God in prayer is by asking according to his will. So that's where we're going with this sermon and this message. That's what we're looking for. We must believe in order to know that we have eternal life. We must believe in the name of the Son of God if we want to know and have confidence that we have eternal life. And we must ask according to God's will in order to receive what we ask from God in prayer. So let's look first at believing in the name of the Son of God. What does it mean to believe? Well, we know what it's not. And when you're defining something, you need to say what it's not as well as what it is. And so to believe is not merely to agree intellectually, to assent intellectually to the concept of God. Well, I believe there's a higher power. James tells us that even the demons do that and they tremble or shudder because of it, because they know that there's a God and that one day they, were going, they are going to be accountable to that God. And so believing, when John says that we may know that we have eternal life by believing in the name of the Son of God, it is more than intellectual assent or agreement to the concept of God or a higher power. It's more than acknowledging that a man named Jesus lived approximately 2,000 years ago. There are people on the street today that would probably grant, well, yes, I think somebody named Jesus lived 2,000 years ago, and maybe he died on a cross. I don't know whether he rose from the dead. I'm pretty sure that didn't happen. But I believe that somebody named Jesus lived. That's not what the Bible is talking about when it says you can know that you have eternal life if you believe in the name of the Son of God. It's talking about much more than that. And so to believe, according to this passage, is to embrace by faith Jesus as Lord and to bank your hope on Christ. It's to embrace by faith Jesus as Lord, to see him for all that he is, to find his glory so satisfying and his beauty so appealing that you reach out to him and say, I want you. You are the desire of my heart. You are the one who can meet the deepest needs of my life. So to believe is to trust. It's to embrace by faith Jesus as Lord. And when we do that, we're recognizing that God sent Jesus, his only son, God in the flesh, to rescue lost sinners who bank their hope on him. While we were enemies with God, God sent his son to take our punishment that we might be brought near and experience eternal life and enjoy all that God offers to his children. So this good news is that we're saved by faith, by believing, by trusting, by embracing through faith Jesus is Lord and not by works. 
There's nothing that we could do to earn our salvation. The Greek word for believe in this text is a present participle, which indicates ongoing action in the present. So it's not a one and done kind of thing. You're familiar with that phrase, one and done, perhaps, from athletics. You have a really gifted high school athlete who enrolls in college, plays one year of college athletics, and then jumps to professional sports. One and done. For some people, they have thought of faith accepting Jesus like that. Oh yeah, I did that once upon a time, and I've never thought about Jesus ever since. But I'm good, I'm in. That's not what the Bible talks about when it's talking about believing in the name of the Son of God. It's ongoing, present trust and reliance, wholehearted faith and confidence in Jesus, the Son of God, who is man, fully man and fully God, that he, through his life, death, and resurrection, has purchased for us salvation, who credits his righteousness to us so that we can stand before God accepted. So to believe in the name of the Son of God is to embrace Jesus by faith. It's to rely upon him fully, and it's to keep on trusting in him. Faith, believing in the name of the Son of God, is something that brings great glory to God. And the reason it does that is because it turns us away from ourself and reliance on self, and it causes us to look to God for our salvation. So it glorifies God as the one who is the Savior, the only Savior. So faith brings great glory to God. It's to look away from self and to rest on Christ alone. To believe is also to treasure Christ supremely. Last week, when we were in Oklahoma, we had the opportunity to worship, Frontline, worship at Frontline's Church in Edmond, and Tim Kimberly was preaching, and he said this, if Jesus is not our heaven, in other words, what we treasure about eternal life, then whatever is our heaven, what we treasure most, will become our hell when it is taken away from us. Let me say that again. If Jesus is not our heaven, or what we treasure most for eternal life, whatever is our heaven will become our hell when it is taken away from us, and everything else will be taken away from us. So to believe in the name of the Son of God is to treasure Jesus Christ supremely. And John writes that we're to believe in the name of of the Son of God. Well, what is significant about that? Well, we know from Matthew 1.21 when the Joseph and Mary were told, or Joseph was told specifically, that his wife would bear a son, his betrothed would bear a son. Verse 21 of Matthew 1, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. So to believe in the name of of the Son of God means to believe that Jesus is the Savior, to rest on him for salvation and on nothing else. This morning we're going to sing the song, Fairest Lord Jesus. It says, Son of God, Son of Man. It's a reminder of what John has been telling us in this first letter, that we must believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he's fully God and fully human, that he is the only Savior. And John, or this, the hymn goes on to say, 
praise, adoration, now and forevermore be thine. So that's what it means to believe in the name of the Son of God, to treasure Jesus supremely and to worship him now and forevermore. To believe in the name of the Son of God is to have ongoing confidence, not just past tense confidence that heaven is better than hell. Some people present the gospel this way. Would you rather go to heaven or hell? Well, heaven, yeah, I guess. Okay, you want to pray? Okay, you pray, that's it, you're done, move on. The gospel is about an ongoing relationship with God through Christ, where we treasure Christ supremely. It's not just a ticket to heaven or a ticket out of hell. The gospel is the good news that we can have a relationship with God now and forevermore. And so I plead with you to believe in that way, to fully rely on Jesus Christ, to entrust your soul to him, to bank your hope on him, to treasure him supremely. Are you trusting Jesus in that way? Because whether you do or whether you don't has implications for eternity. Life and death, eternal life and eternal death are at stake, I plead with you to believe in the name of the Son of God, to bank your hope on him and to trust in him. So believing in the name of the Son of God leads to knowing that we have eternal life. And I've been thinking about knowing with certainty that you have something. What do you have that you know that you have now and that you'll have forever. You can maybe think through some things that you have now. For example, I have and many of you have paid into Social Security. But you and I have no guarantee that you or I will ever see any of those funds. Some of you may already be receiving them, so you can have a guarantee that you'll get at least what you've gotten. But there's no guarantee that you'll get what you've paid in. I have a wife and children and grandchildren, but I'm not promised that I will always have them. Yesterday I officiated at the funeral of a 39-year-old woman who died during the early morning hours just a week ago, leaving a husband and 11 children ranging from 11 months to 19 years old. I have no guarantee that because I have a wife now and children now and grandchildren now, that I will always have them on this earth. If they believe in Jesus Christ, I will be able to share eternity with them. But on this earth, I don't have that guarantee that I will always have them. We may currently enjoy good health, but if that changes, there's no place that you can go to get a warranty replacement. Uh, Yeah, I purchased good health and I've got this warranty, I want it back now. We can't do that. We may have a house in which to live, but as we were in Edmond, Oklahoma last Monday and there were tornado warnings all around and four tornadoes touching the ground out south and west of Edmond and then driving through Missouri on Wednesday and there were tornadoes all around and a a significant tornado in Jefferson City, Missouri. The fact that I have a house today doesn't guarantee that I have a place to live tomorrow. A tornado may rip the roof off or flatten it. Fire may burn it up. 
Some of the things that I have, I don't have certainty that I will always have them. We may have investments. During the first four months of this year, they were rapidly growing. But then talks of tariffs began to become part of the news. And if you have investments, they've likely shrunk in the last month. And it's, of course, always a possibility they they can disappear completely. Life itself. You and I have life this moment and this day. But we don't have a guarantee that we will always have it. I was reminded of that during the past week and driving on the freeway when you're on a freeway where the speed limit's 75 miles an hour and you're sandwiched in between two 18-wheelers and one of them's drifting off to the right and then back onto the road and hitting the rumble strips and you hear those rumble strips rumbling and you wonder if that driver's falling asleep and then you see him starting drifting over and you can't move to the left because there's another one over there. We've got life today, but we don't know that we'll have it tomorrow. Leaving Tulsa, visiting my 92-year-old aunt, is merging onto the freeway and checking my blind spot. It looked good. I started to move over, then looked up, and the vehicles in front of me were almost at a stop. And it was that close to perhaps something very tragic. Thank you for praying for us. I texted Rich Hartzell. He said he was praying for us and said, thank you. The Lord was protecting us from the schemes of the evil one. But the things that we have, most of the things that we have, we have no certainty that we will always have them. But there is good news. God says there is one thing that we have that we can have certainty that we will always have, and that is eternal life. Now, when it comes to eternal life and the issue of eternal life, Many have only wishful thinking about eternal life rather than assurance. They say things like, well, I hope that I've done enough in my life, enough good things, that my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds. I hope that I've done enough that I'll gain eternal life. There are others who have no basis for assurance. They're not trusting in Christ but they have a false confidence regarding eternal life for whatever reason. Maybe it's something they've done in the past. If you know anything about Islamic theology, Muslims here in central Ohio and around the world have no assurance of eternal life. They view the afterlife as a matter of weighing good deeds and bad deeds in the scale, and they think Allah will weigh their good deeds versus their bad deeds, and if the good deeds weigh more, then hopefully they'll be granted eternal life. Their only assurance is if they die in an act of jihad or a holy war, then they think they go directly to paradise. But in general, they have no assurance because they're trusting in what they can do for themselves. Those who come knocking on your door with a different gospel wanting to talk at your doorstep. They have no assurance of eternal life. If you talk to them about that, they'll say, well, I hope that I've knocked on enough doors that I've witnessed to enough people to gain acceptance before God. But the good news of the gospel is that we can have assurance. Lee preached from 1 John 5, 6 through 12 last week, and verse 12 says that everyone who has the Son, by faith has life. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. You might say, well, what does it mean to have the Son of God? 
We don't own him like a possession in the sense that we control him. But there are different things that we have and we talk about them. Like you might say, reach in your pocket and say, well, I have a dollar. Or you might not be feeling well today. You might say, I have a cold. Or you might say, there are some challenges going on in my life and I have an attorney. And so what does it mean that you have something? What does it mean to have the son? Well, if you have a dollar, it means that that dollar will do its thing for you. If you have a, a cold, it means that it will do its thing for you or to you. If you have an attorney, hopefully it means that your attorney will do the attorney's thing for you. If you have Jesus Christ, he will do his thing for you. And he, the thing that he does is he saves us. He satisfies us. He gives us all of himself, all that we want of him, he gives to us. So we can have assurance of eternal life. We read from the New City Catechism this morning that by his substitutionary and atoning death, he alone redeems us from hell and gains for us forgiveness of sin, righteousness, and everlasting life. We can have certainty and assurance that this one thing, eternal life, is ours. The Song of Solomon is a love song, a love poem. And there are different ways to look at it. It certainly talks about the love between a husband and a wife. But most people also see it as pointing to the love that Christ has for his church, for his bride. But in the Song of Solomon, there's this exclamation, I am my beloved's and he is mine. That's a statement of assurance and certainty and we can say that about Jesus Christ. I am my beloved's and he is mine. If we are trusting in him, if we're banking our hope in him. So there are many things about which we have no certainty that we'll have them forever. But God has said that we can have certainty that we will have eternal life. And that is an amazing gift. And when it talks about knowing that we have eternal life, again, the Greek word that's used is a word for personal experiential knowledge that we actually experience eternal life last week Lee talked about what it means to have eternal life that our spiritual hunger and thirst is now satisfied that we'll be raised up on the last day and live forever that cancer and sudden death don't have the last word that we have the light of life and we don't stumble around in the darkness that we have abundant life and like Lee said, that doesn't mean Lamborghinis. We have intimate fellowship with the Father and the Son, that we who were enemies have now been made sons and daughters. So even if we die, we live forever. So we can have confidence that we have eternal life, which begins now, the moment we first trust in Christ. There's importance to having eternal life. It's infinitely more important than a lot of the other things that we give value to in our lives, especially at this time of year as summer's kicking into gear and we're thinking about being out in maybe shorts or being at the beach in a swimsuit and we want that tan, that perfect tan, and we want our bodies to look sleek and fit. But infinitely more important is eternal life. As a pastor, I have the opportunity, I've had the opportunity, many opportunities to be with people at the moment of death. That 
is an opportunity to really evaluate what's important and what's of value. And some of those situations, it's been an atmosphere of cursing and anger, fear. Other situations have been wonderful peace and faith and even joy in the face of death. And in that moment, I can tell you, no one I've been with at the moment of death has been concerned about whether they have a nice tan or whether they look good in a swimsuit. There are infinitely more important things at that moment. God wants us to know that we have eternal life, and we know that by believing in the name of the Son of God. He also wants us to receive what we ask from God in prayer. And the way that we do that is by asking according to God's will. James wrote in James 4 verse 3 that you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. God, this is what I really want. Would you give it to me? It will make me happy. Now some things... They're fine, and God may give them, but sometimes we want to spend it on our passions. So asking according to God's will is not asking to spend it on our passions. Asking to, according to God's will is asking what we know is pleasing to God. Now, sometimes it's hard to discern in situations where someone is sick, especially if they're elderly. We would who are on earth would like friends and relatives to be granted continued life on this earth. But maybe that person is praying that I would like to depart and be with Christ for that is far better. So in some cases, we may not know how to pray according to God's will, but there are many more things that we're invited to bring before the Lord in prayer where we can be confident with absolute confidence that this is God's will. We can know God's will because it's revealed in Scripture. So in this letter, we have seen three things that are overarching throughout this letter of 1 John that are God's will. One, that we believe in the name of the Son of God, that we believe that Jesus is the Christ. So that's a great thing to pray. And when you pray that, God, would you help me to believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Would you help me to trust him and bank my hope on him as Savior? You can be confident you're praying according to his will and that that prayer will be answered, that you will have what you ask from him. In addition, we've seen that in 1 John that God's will is for us to love God, to obey God, to walk in the obedience of faith, to keep his commandments. Those are all different ways of saying the same thing that we would have love for God, that we would obey God. And so you can ask God, God, help me to walk in the obedience of faith. And you can know that you're praying in accordance with his will and that he will grant grace for you to do that. And the third thing that we've seen is that God calls us to love one another. Not only the vertical dimension of love towards God, but the horizontal dimension of love towards one another. And you can pray, God, I want to love like you do. Help me to love my brothers and sisters. And again, you can be confident that you're praying according to his will and that he will grant what you ask from him, that you will have, you will receive what you ask. Elsewhere in the Bible, there's 
all sorts of things we could look to that are the will of God, the stated will of God, the declared and decreed will of God. For example, in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, this is the will of God. You ready? I'm going to tell you what God's will for you is. Are you ready? Your sanctification, that you be made holy, that you be conformed to the image of Christ. That's the will of God. And so God, help me to be conformed to the image of Christ. And you can pray that knowing that God will grant your request. 1 Thessalonians 5, the next chapter. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So again, lift up a prayer. God, help me to rejoice always. To pray without ceasing. To give thanks in all circumstances. And you can know that that's God's will. And he will answer that prayer. That verse is a favorite of mine when I'm talking to young people who are wondering about God's will for their life. I don't know what God's will for my life is. Well, here's God's will. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. This is the will of God for you. If you're doing that, if you're focused on that, the other things will likely take care or God will take care of the rest. So, receiving whatever we ask. When we ask according to God's will, we do receive what we ask. We've seen from John 15 this morning that God's will is that we would bear much fruit individually and corporately as a church so we can pray, God, would you make me fruitful in my life for you? Would you make me fruitful in ministry towards others? Would you make us as a church fruitful that we would reproduce Disciples who make disciples, that's a prayer that's according to God's will and we can be confident that he will answer it, that we will receive and have what we ask from him. We can ask to be conformed to the image of Christ. Romans 8, 29 says, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's God's will for you, to be conformed to the image of his son. So ask, God, make me more like Jesus. Ephesians 4.13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So ask God to conform you to the image of Christ. We are familiar with the Lord's Prayer, what Jesus, when Jesus' disciples asked him, asked him to teach them to pray, he said, pray like this. And the first thing he said was, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. In other words, may your name be honored. That's something that we can pray that we know is in keeping with God's will. And when we pray that, we will have and receive what we ask from God. So God, will you cause your name to be honored and hallowed among this church in this community of Lewis Center, in Delaware County, in Ohio, in this nation, and around the world, would you cause your name to be hallowed and honored? Before Jesus ascended to heaven, he said to his disciples that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So you can ask God, to make me a faithful and effective witness for you and know that God will answer that prayer. Perhaps it's been your experience that when you pray that prayer, coincidences happen. God, would you use me as your witness today? Would you lead me to someone where I can share the gospel with? 
And God brings you into a situation where it happens. I find that when I pray that, coincidences happen. When I don't, they don't. You can be confident that you're praying according to his will and that you have what you ask of him when you pray to be a faithful and effective witness for Christ. In several places in scripture, God tells us that his will is to one day fill the earth with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Numbers 14, 21, truly as I live and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Isaiah eleven nine. 9, they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Habakkuk 2, 14, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So how are we supposed to pray in light of those verses of scripture? Here's a way to pray. God, here in Lewis Center, there's a plan to build 3,000 homes in Evans Farm. Would you cause the knowledge of the glory of the Lord to fill this community as the waters cover the sea? Would you cause this church to impact that development in our county, in our state, nation, and world until the knowledge of the glory of the Lord covers the earth as the waters cover the sea? That's a prayer that's in keeping with God's will and you will have what you ask from him. So because Jesus is the Christ, because he is the God-man, fully human, fully God, we can have assurance of eternal life and we can receive what we ask from God. Having been united with Christ by faith and granted the gift of eternal life, we have the privilege of participating with King Jesus in the work of the kingdom from now through all eternity. And so God invites us to know with confidence and assurance that we have eternal life by believing in the name of the Son of God. And he invites us to receive what we ask from him by asking according to his will. Pray big, bold prayers of faith for the sake of the gospel. Receive God's grace by faith in all that God has for you. And may God be glorified in our lives. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this wonderful, amazing gift of eternal life and the confidence that we can have regarding it, that we can know that you have purchased our salvation, eternal salvation, and that it can never be taken away from us because we are trusting in Jesus Christ. And we thank you that we can come to you and ask big, bold, faith-filled prayers according to your will and know that we have what we ask of you, that we will receive what we ask because we're asking according to your will. So Lord, conform us to the image of Christ. Use us for the glory of Christ. Fill us with the joy of Christ for the sake of all nations, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.